Hello, it's Jared from Transform Your Teaching. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to our podcast. We have had an absolute blast putting it together for you. We hope you're enjoying it as much as we are. We have a survey that we'd like you to fill out for us to help us to improve because we want to serve you and hearing from you will help us improve the podcast to serve you better. Just follow the link in our description and in the show notes. It won't take you long to do and we really do value your feedback. So please fill it out for us. Thanks in advance and enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. We seek to inspire higher education faculty to adopt innovative teaching and learning practices. Thanks for joining our conversation. Welcome to Transform Your Teaching here on the campus of Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. My name is Jared Piles and with me is Dr. Robert McDowell. We serve at the Center for Teaching and Learning and we are looking at avenues to help you improve your teaching through some innovative teaching practices. We have been talking about technology integration. That's our most recent series. And in our last episode, we introduced the how of technology integration and some practical aspects of it. But we want to bring in someone who works with us in our department, our, oh, yes. our user experience designer and editor at CTL, Laura Neisler. And she's going to basically summarize the statement of just because you can doesn't, doesn't mean, mean you, you should. should. So we're going to talk with Lauren today. Hello, Lauren. Hello. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you. We're glad to have you here. I'm glad Definitely. to be here. By the time this airs. We will be one week into the new Zelda game, Tears of the Kingdom. How much have you slept? Prophesy ahead. Uh, 12% of me slept. <laughs> 12%. I was looking for more of like <clears throat> duration. Like two hours? Yeah, I was going to say. Well, if you take the entire week and the number of hours I would typically sleep and then do a little bit of math, 12% of my normal amount of sleep. You're way over my head. I mean, I feel like I'm going to sleep maybe one hour. Sounds like she's more of our statistician, less of our user. Yes, definitely. But <laughs> thank you. Could you make for... that number accessible to us, please? <laughs> um, I would love to. I will show my math afterwards in a plain text format. So. Well, we've provided a scrap sheet of paper for you to put your <clears throat> work on so you can do that later. That means I out how little I sleep, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> That's true, yes. But thanks for coming on with us again. Of course. Appreciate that. So one of the things we want to talk about, obviously, is user design, mm -hmm. specifically towards courses. Uh, obviously, we use Canvas. Yes. And uh, so that tends to be the medium, the web medium that we use. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of web design involved in that. And so you know, we're aware of things like UDL, and maybe some of our listeners are as well. But could you just provide... When we talk about the how of accessibility, because that's really what we're wanting to talk about today, one of the main things with you is <clears throat> define accessibility for our listeners. Okay. Um, accessibility is often talked about in the terms of like captioning for videos and those sorts of things. And that definitely is a part of accessibility, but it's broader than that. Accessibility is really just 
making sure that all elements of your course are available to the user, in our case, students, no matter the situation they're in or their backgrounds or their um, abilities or anything else um, so that any student can come into any course at any time and go through the material without any hangups. So we're talking about students with learning disabilities. We're mm -hmm. talking about students with hearing impairment or mm -hmm. seeing impairment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we're also talking about students who are in busy environments, who are even temporarily disabled. Um, if they got some sort of injury that they would need accommodations that they don't typically need. Um, so like a student fell off their bike, biking across campus, broke their arm. They're temporarily disabled and would need to interact with their course differently from then on. What do you think is the primary importance behind making content accessible? If you were to sum it up into, if you had a faculty member, which I'm sure happens often, used to come to your door, or maybe it's now it's a call or an email and say, Lauren, why? And let's say you've got 6 million other emails that say why. How would you sum it up in one sentence? Well, it would be tempting to respond, why not? <laughs> That isn't the. That's a really good answer. It isn't. Well, it's not necessarily a bad answer. It's, it's not the. It's not a bad answer. It's just not a comprehensive answer. <clears throat> yeah. Um, they would then follow up with, "What do you mean?" Um, That's not the question I asked you. It, yeah. it, well, it was the question I was asked, and yeah. it was an answer. But why make things more difficult for your students? If your goal is to help your students learn, why put roadblocks in their way when you can prevent them or remove them? In case of anything that comes up, it could be something they weren't even expecting mm -hmm. that comes up. Mm -hmm. Those temporary roadblocks do happen more often than we like to think about. Yeah, life happens. Yeah. So make your content accessible mm -hmm. when you can. Yeah. Uh, so what are some of those ways? I mean, I know you've mentioned some, but what are the like the most common ones that you you tend to see where you, where you say it, a lot of folks will be like, why do I need to do that? I know, I know Jared has one that he really struggles with. I'm holding on to it. You're holding on? Okay, yeah. well, we'll leave that one alone then. Okay, we'll save that one for last. I'll start <clears throat> exactly. at the other end of the list. Exactly. There you go. So start on the uh, opposite end of Jared's list. <laughs> <laughs> the ones that I can do well. Okay, so truly the other end of the list um, is when putting content into pages in Canvas, paying attention to how you style your content. It's tempting to just go through your headings and choose them in order to make it look pretty. Mm. And pretty is nice, but the point of HTML and headings is adding structure for screen readers because it provides indicators for your content. So, for example, with headings, you shouldn't skip levels in headings and they should relate to content. So if you have your overall heading that isn't your page title, it is different, but in this piece of content, you have your page title, which describes what you're covering overall, you have an introduction, and then it's broken into three sections. Each of those three sections, if you're using a heading, should be your heading two, which is the highest level of heading, and then content under each. If you have headings under each of those, you could be tempted to jump straight down to a heading four for those, which you might decide to do because you like the aesthetics of it better, but function over aesthetics 
below heading two is heading three, below heading three is heading four. And I think that's where canvas stops. It is. Which is unfortunate at times because mm -hmm. I could really use headings five through seven every now and then, but that might mean wow. your complex is a, your content is a little complex yeah. and should be reworked. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but headings should be nested under each other because it shows relationships because of how screen readers work. Um, okay. When they're interpreting content, it will understand how the content is nested together from proper heading use. Mm. And you're talking about in that, if I'm looking, if I'm envisioning a canvas text box, mm -hmm. there's that ribbon, the bar that has like the left justif justified center, right? There's a little drop down that usually mm -hmm. says paragraph. Yes. You're talking about the heading one, two, three, and skipping heading one, you said. Heading one is not available as an option because heading one is used as the page titles. The title. Okay. So, so starting at heading two. Yes. Heading two okay. is the first option available and should be your highest level of heading. A way to think about it is if you're outlining your content, your heading twos are your main points. Gotcha. Your heading threes are your sub points and your heading fours are, I think at that point you're up to like quotes and supporting materials in a traditional outline. But okay. that is a way to look at your content and think about how your headings should work. So if they do these things like in Word and they use styles in Word, I'm 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 just being real here. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. You, you are because you're not. I mean, let's say it's a, a faculty member who's just doing this on their own. They're mm -hmm. not. You know, they haven't tapped CTL. We're not helping them with it. Mm -hmm. um, but Word has some very similar things in their styles. Mm -hmm. How do you get that? Is there a way to get that to come across or? Do you have to pay attention to that when you copy and so like maybe they do it in Word and they want to copy and paste it over? Copying and pasting it over technically mostly <clears throat> works. <laughs> Two adverbs, technically, technically and, and mostly. mostly. It technically mostly works. You will get all of your text. You will get what Canvas thinks you said as all of your styles, plus some bonus information at times. So if you ever feel the inclination to open up the HTML editor in Canvas and look at something you brought in from Word, you might wonder where your content is. And that's because it interpreted a whole lot of things from Word and put it in as inline like CSS for oh. all of your HTML tags. I like to call it gobbledygook because you read it and you're like, I don't know what it's saying. Yeah. Which isn't great for screen readers necessarily. It's Does a it lot read of, that stuff? It shouldn't read that stuff, but it's just more information to parse through. Um, I need to do more research on this to see if it would slow down screen readers at all with that much information tied into the HTML elements themselves. But if you like reading HTML, it's not pretty to look at for sure. And it messes with style sometimes in canvas so if okay. i copy and paste from word into canvas i do go through and just make sure that everything has the styles applied that i want that all of my paragraphs are paragraphs all of my headings are headings and that they didn't decide and by they didn't decide i mean canvas didn't decide to make half of them bold and half of them not bold on top of the heading styles because it could mm -hmm. mm. so so Let's say I'm a faculty member who says, that's great, Lauren. Why can't I just make this line of text 16-point font and bold, and that's my header? Why can't I do that? Because if you have a student using a screen reader, it will read it as normal text. You read it as, this is important. A screen reader reads it as, 
Wow, that's text. <laughs> okay, well, that's fair Just enough. like that. Wow, that's text. <laughs> wow, that's text. I'd like to see the screen reader say that. Wow, that's text. Yeah, look, there's more. And here's more. <laughs> here's more. Oh, that's more. Oh, look, more. <laughs> Don't worry, we can edit a lot of this stuff. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I do like how you said <clears throat> function over aesthetics. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good way of encapsulating accessibility when it comes to especially with text and stuff like that, especially with HTML. Yes, it could, it's going to look pretty, right? Right. With the headers and stuff, but you don't have to make your text blue for it to be pretty. Please don't make it blue. Please don't make it blue. Blue indicates link text, and if it's not a link, it should not be blue. Oh, so link text is in like the hyperlinks people click to go out. Mm-hmm. So our text should not be blue. Please don't make your text different colors. Please don't make, just like stick blink, with- blinky red. What about blinky red? I would say that is frowned upon for a variety of reasons. All right. Most of them for accessibility reasons. Um, And one that we have yet to really discuss, we've talked about eye impairment, but color. Yes. Mm -hmm. This guy over here, I'm pointing at myself because this is an audio podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Note to the listeners. Accessibility, right? His left hand is pointed with its index finger right at his face. Right at my cheek. I Yeah, red-green, I can't see that. So I've taken a course in which a professor has put their text red-green, and I've emailed and said, we're I can't talking tell about, the difference. We're talking about color here, not the show. Correct, yes, not the red-green show from PBS. Only a few people will get that one. Yeah. But yeah, so that's another issue as well, mm-hmm. is colorblindness. Colorblindness, um, which there are like the red-green colorblindness concerns that should be paid attention to, but then also... Contrast levels. Yeah. Contrast levels is very big because you might think that your lavender text on your white background is really pretty, but it's really hard to read. Mm. Or like contrast levels are a very big deal to make sure that stuff is easily identifiable, especially we're talking primarily about text at the moment. But if we use any images and have colored text on a colored background, and if the user or student is in any kind of situation where they don't have the ideal lighting circumstance and they don't perceive the colors in the exact same way that you do, they might have a really hard time trying to figure out what you are trying to convey through that image. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Mm. It seems like you're saying we need to be very thoughtful about images and what we put in, the colors that we use. But I think... One of the things I'd like to follow up with is what do faculty do? You know, what what are some resources or some just general rules of thumb that you could quickly list for our listeners? So a lot of the resources that I end up using are more on the decently technical and like wide expanding side of things because I come at this from more of a web design side. Um, I studied web design as one of my minors when I was a student here and then have just kept that up mm. over the years. So that's where a lot of my HTML, CSS comes from. So all of my resources are, frankly, very big websites that I can distill down in links for the podcast to point to specific sections of them so you don't do what I did earlier today and pull them up and go to the homepage for once and go, oh, <laughs> wow. That's text. That's text. There's a lot of it here. It, it is organized well, but if you don't know, 
exactly what you're looking for. You will dig for a while going through things. But some of my favorite resources as I'm looking at things is the W3C, which is the World Wide Web Consortium Web Accessibility Initiative, um, which has a lot of guidelines and then examples of everything and links to some tools. Like um, one of the resources they link to is um, WCAG, which is the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, which is where I live more than W3C. Um, but the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines gets into the nitty gritty for a lot of these things about what exactly your color contrast should be depending on your size of text and whether or not your font is bold. And um, I believe that also links to some of my favorite resources where instead of me trying to figure out all these things, I can plug all of the information into a website and tell it, this is the color of my text, this is the color of my background, may I please use it? And sometimes it's, yeah, yeah, of course you can. Like, that's great. That's great contrast. Like, this is very readable. You can use this at a very small size. You can use it as a large size and just like very normal text. This is great. But otherwise, there are times that I put it in and it's like, would you reconsider everything about this design decision that you have made? (laughs) Everything. Everything. Specifically your contrast, because you can currently only use this as like size 24 point font. Mm. Now, it was my understanding that Canvas also had some sort of tool that would allow faculty to actually check. Yes. And we were talking earlier about that text ribbon or the text box and the, the, the controls up above when we were talking about headings, mm-hmm. right? So is there something in there that they would be able to click on that would maybe give them a, a, a real quick readout or, or yeah. Analysis. Analysis, thank you summary of how accessible the content is yes um canvas does they mm-hmm. have their accessibility checker um which is if i'm remembering the current layout of the rich content editor correctly i believe it's in the bottom right hand corner of the text box it is mm-hmm. it looks like it a, it looks like a very tiny person Jump, doing jumping jacks. Exactly. Yes. Which Way is, down in the bottom, it's, bottom right. It's jumping yeah. jacks in celebration because your content is accessible. Ah. Yeah. That's how I choose to look at it. Okay. Um, that's fair. And if your content looks good to Canvas, it won't, it'll just be that button there and you could click on it and feel a sense of pride because Canvas congratulates you on having accessible content. Or if there's things that you should look into... Um, It'll have a small bubble um, with a number on it, and it'll tell you how many things you should look at and review and fix in order for your content to meet the guidelines they're checking against. All right. So we talked about text. Let's, I'm going to hit on two more things. Mm -hmm. First, we're not going to talk about my least favorite one next, but so we're going to keep delaying it. Save the best for last. Save the best for last so I can go off on my rant. Um, but I want to talk about closed captioning mm-hmm. and transcription. Ooh. Tell me about that. Um, so closed captioning and transcription. Um, it's easy to think that it's not important because everybody, this is not true, but it's easy to think that, oh, anybody who can hear well doesn't need captioning or transcription. Captions simply can help students focus on material better because they are listening to the material and they are reading the material at the same time. 
I know that personally, I will have captions on for everything I do. Um, I sometimes refuse to watch Instagram reels if the creator hasn't put captions on them just because they're often in like, they don't have great audio quality. And then I'm like straining to figure out what they're saying and they talk for so long. And if you put captions on, I can skim your captions or read your captions and hop through your 28 slides of your story to find out the entire story before like my breakfast gets cold. (laughs) But with educational content also, I always have my captions on to have that dual way of absorbing the information. It helps me take more accurate notes. And then for other circumstances, like movies, TV shows, captions help me focus and not get distracted on other things. Other things will try to pull my attention away. But if I have those two sources to help keep my attention on what I'm watching, I'm far more likely to pay attention and retain information. All right. My least favorite. Here we go. Alternate text with images. Mm -hmm. It's probably the most important thing you could possibly do if you include images in your web design or whatever. But for some reason, I am horrible at it. Tell us what it is and then help me figure out how to do it best. Okay. So alt text is alternate text. Um, It is a method of describing an image. Um, It is what is read by screen readers in place of your image. 